0: Hey everybody, today on the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about five myths of discipleship. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome back or welcome
1: to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. Here we are. Yes. It's it's Passion Week. Passion Week. Good Friday's tomorrow. Resurrection. Did you grow up in a church where it was called... Easter Sunday or Resur- Resurrection Sunday?
0: Mostly Easter Sunday. Okay. I yeah. also grew up in the old school where we had real sunrise services. Okay.
1: Like five something in the morning, you guys are yes. up for church outside. Yes. Yeah. But then, did you go back later in the morning yeah. for a second? Service? Yeah, we would do
0: a breakfast at the church, and then there'd be a regular
1: time service. All one, all rolled right one into the next. Like no, n- no, not necessarily.
0: Yeah, well, my dad was a pastor, so right, right. we had to stay. But yeah, people would go home, some would come back and then some wouldn't. But now churches, it, I think it's hilarious when churches are like, "Come to our sunrise service at 7:30." I'm like, "Sun's Son, already up. What are you yeah. talking about?" Yeah, yeah. So,
1: I never had that experience. I've never yeah. I've also never gone to like a midnight mass on Christmas Eve. Every um, many years I there's a large Catholic church across the street from where we live, and many years I I'll say to myself, I will even say to Aaron, I'll say, "You know, I think I, you know, if the kids go to bed. I I'd, I'd like to go over and just experience a midnight mass. Yeah, you said that to me too before. You've, every, ne- you've never done it. No, I <laughs> get you know, I'm filled with food. I'm we've opened presents and I'm just like sleeping. And I know if I'm not home and sleeping, Santa won't come, so it's kind of risky right. to go. It's very risky. So, yeah. but yeah, man, so it's a really powerful time of the year, obviously, for the Christian faith. So much of what we believe and so much what we base our lives on hinges on these days and so um excited about it um also excited because easter signals signifies for us the end of our weight loss challenge
0: Mm. Mm. we should give the people an update yeah yeah
1: um i'll let you do the honors this has not been a very successful let's just say this has not really been a successful weight loss challenge well
0: we are lighter than when we started
1: that's true I mean, I'm winning and, and barring some sort of crazy thing this week, I'm going to win. I think
0: you told me I have to lose 9 or 10 pounds and you not lose anything for Correct. me to beat you, right? Yeah, which is totally
1: doable. <laughs> well, you in our last year, remember you did lose a lot of pounds in one week when you went to Florida and picked out, and then came back the next week. Yeah, but so, I can't, yeah. I can't take
0: get one of those worms.
1: So again. I'm probably gonna win, but winning this is kind of like a, you know, it's like a race between the slowest people, slowest runners in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm down six percent or so. You and Mark are down three percent or so, and our buddy, who we don't use his name out of respect for him and his wife Jeremiah he <laughs> is almost up. 2%. Now, when he weighed in last week, he was taking something that apparently caused him to hold lots of water weight.
0: Horse steroids, Yeah, I some sort of yeah. a
1: steroid peanut butter sandwich that he was eating every yeah. morning. Um, and I do something similar. It's called salt. Um, holds yeah. a lot of water. That's but, good. Uh, I, well, bet, I, I, I should, bet he loses quite a bit this week. I should I'm, say,
0: I, I feel like I do have an excuse. You may hear it in my voice. And actually, the reason this podcast is coming out late is I am, I've been a little under the weather. Yeah. And therefore, I've been taking a lot of NyQuil. And cough medicine so a lot of sugar in that probably <laughs> I've I gotta think that affects my body in, yeah. a, in a ways that we have no idea how so
1: you would like to think so I would I would like to think so yeah yeah so anyway Easter afternoon I'm gonna enjoy as many carbs as I want mm. um, and uh, I don't know for sure what we're doing yet we're still making our plans We can't ever agree because no one in our family so ham is like only a couple people in our family like ham. Mm. Only a couple people in our family like lamb. They're oh. Not the same people. We don't really like doing turkey because it just feels too Thanksgivingy. Yeah. And so then you're kind of left with what? Like a, we could do like a rib roast. That takes so much work and it's so expensive right now. So I don't know what we're gonna do. Gross. We're all, we're all in lamb. We're a lamb yeah. fan. Oh, I love lamb, but I'm yeah. the only one in my house that loves lamb. Yeah, that's a shame. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. No,
1: we we love it. We're
0: excited. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a great Easter. Uh, excited for our church and uh, and also just for the day and celebrating
1: yeah we need our listeners to pray for your voice because you're supposed to lead some of the singing yeah on both good friday and easter sunday
0: well i think maybe this could work to my advantage to be honest with you like a nice a little raspy little rasp. Yeah.
1: yeah who would it make you sound like
0: i don't know somebody better than i am i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure the problem then is if it goes well i'm gonna want to stay s- slightly sick yeah you know because right now i feel good but my voice is a little affected so if right. i could hold this that would yeah. be awesome
1: this is not a bad preaching voice you got right now, actually. You mm. get a little, like, raspy yell going. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, uh, obviously, we hope you're better for Easter. and hope everyone that's listening has a great weekend. So um, today we are diving into a conversation that kind of comes—well, it doesn't kind of. It comes out of an article that came out last month. Um, I read it, and then I sent it to you. It was on crossway.org. Jonathan uh, Dodson, who's someone who's written about discipleship, he wrote an article called The Five Myths About Discipleship. I thought it was interesting, and I wanted to interact with it a little bit on this episode and the next episode of our podcast. Yeah. And so, obviously, when we talk about myths of discipleship, what he's saying is there's some things that people to be, believe to be true, like, for example, um, drinking NyQuil is a good excuse for not losing weight, mm-hmm. uh, and what they end up to be myths, which is not true. I'm going to lose
0: a lot of weight because of NyQuil. <laughs> All right.
1: <laughs> And then uh, there are things, of course, that are true. So let's just jump right in. I think we're going to try to get through a couple of the discipleship myths today. And the first myth that he presents in this article, which you can find on crossway.org, is that discipleship is a Christian thing. And what he's saying is is that it's a myth that discipleship is something only Christians do for one another. Uh, He brings out the historical point that discipleship didn't originate with Jesus, um, Jewish rabbis and Greek philosophers had disciples, Aristotle and Plato. They, they were famous for those who were, they would have considered themselves the disciples of those uh, individuals. And even today, there are disciples. They might look like followers on Twitter, fo- uh, you know, friends on Instagram. They might look like political parties. But we all kind of have people in our lives that are discipling us either up close or from a distance, and then there are even sort of cultural forces that are discipling people. So this myth that discipleship is just a Christian thing, why is this important for us to understand even in our efforts to disciple people?
0: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point and probably a new point for a lot of people that, they, that they've not thought of. They thought of as maybe a uniquely Christian idea. And I think one of the reasons why it's so important is because it helps us um, ask the right questions. So when we think about our life, it's not, um, you know, it's. I would compare it to this, and you you talk about this a lot. It's like the question is not sh- do I worship or don't I. It's mm. what do I worship, right? Yeah. This is the same thing. It's not like should I make disciples or should I be disciple? The answer is you already are. Yeah, yeah. The question is in what ways and how intentional are you about that?
1: So when and, we talk about Christians needing to be disciples of Jesus— it's not like you... What you're saying is it's not like you can be a disciple of Jesus or, or a disciple of... It's either you're a disciple of Jesus or you're a disciple of something, something else. else yeah. Something or someone is discipling you. Right. Uh, you know, in our world today, in our society, in our culture, what would you say, like, are some of the more powerful discipling forces in our country, in our world right now that people, even Christians, well-meaning Christians, are actually in some cases being more discipled by something or someone other than Jesus in the gospel? And I, and I think... We saw this surface a little bit in the last couple of years in the midst of COVID and the political uh, uh, division and the racial tensions and and the opinions about reopening and masks and also you began to um, you listen to who people quote and and who they reference and who they listen to. And you, you began to get a vision of what was really discipling people. Yeah,
0: I think I think the Internet and technology has changed the game on this because what it's done is it's opened us up to a world of. Um, disciplers, meaning things or people that would disciple us that were never, never existed before. So I think before there was this pull to like the community center, whether that was the church or kind of the elders of the community, It's, it's like, because that's where you got maybe information. That's where you recognize wisdom. Well, technology and in particular, the Internet, and then also the invention of, like, the iPhone and our personal devices. like yeah, social media. Yeah. yeah, social media. Like, there's more power now on that computer than than we had when we landed a person on the moon. So yeah. now it's opened this world up. It's like, I don't need those people. I mean, you have a generation of kids now who s- could say, I don't even need my parents. Mm. And they, they feel that way. Why? Because they've got so many other disciplers, and I'm putting it in air quotes, in their life, whether that's influencers Um, Of course, with adults, it could be political parties, um, cause leaders, you know, group causes, whatever your environmentalism is, whatever your cause is. Right. We can. So there's all of those things and all of those options that I don't think exist anymore.
1: What do you think is the I'm sorry, it didn't exist before, but do exist. now. Right. What do you think is the danger of discipleship from a distance? So. Discipleship in terms of theory and philosophy and even theology and thought, but a total absence of proximity, um, um, doing life together in meaningful ways. Because really, you know, there's a lot of Elon Musk disciples just to pick somewhat of a harmless name, I I think. Don't you dare Um, say that. Maybe not completely harmless, but um, there's a bunch of Joe Rogan disciples, Mm -hmm. right? There were Trump disciples. There are Biden disciples. There are CNN disciples. There are Fox News disciples. Yet these are not people who walk with you through the worst moments of your life. These are not individuals who know your story, and you don't really know theirs. All you know is the version that they put out there. What's detrimental or dangerous about um relying upon discipleship from a distance to the exclusion of the messiness of sharing life with people in your own neighborhood yeah
0: i would i would say like this they don't know you and you don't know them so you can be influenced from a distance Mm -hmm. and in a positive way i mean like you read a book you listen to a podcast You listen to a debate or conversation that can be a good influence in your life, gain knowledge, wisdom, point you in the right direction. But that's not the same as being discipled, because when you when you're discipled, um, you you have to be in a relationship that has meaning where they know you. They know who you really are, like not the not the fake social media version, but the real you and you know them. Yeah. So and that's part of like we've seen the fallout with all these moral failures of all these Christian leaders, right? And there's this tendency to pedestal everybody and look mm-hmm. for these celebrities, and then we all get crushed when they fall. And it's like I thought I knew them. <laughs> it's like no, you didn't. You
1: never met. Yeah, you know nothing about them other than their their best sermons that are online and the books that they've you know ghost right. written or you know right. or had ghost written for them yeah. in some cases. Yeah, I think that. Um, when you were saying that one of the things that I was just thinking about was this, the challenge of uh, a world where we can get information easily. As you said, we can get influenced in really easy ways by individuals who we have no actual relationship with. But the reality is, is that what they're offering to us is not themselves, yeah, but their views. Right. And so, um, in real discipleship, and actually we'll get to this in a couple myths, we may not get it to this episode, but to the next episode, we often say that discipleship is life on life. Now, he actually calls that a myth, a little, little teaser here, and we, he'll, I'll explain later why he says it's a myth, but um, in its simplest version, I believe it's true that discipleship is done by sharing life together, because that's yeah. how Jesus did it. He pushes back in from a unique angle. Um but we don't get that in these situations. You know, our definition of discipleship that we often reference on our podcast is moving from belief or moving from unbelief to belief in the gospel, changing what you love and how you live. That definition of discipleship actually works in in across the board. Take the word gospel out and just make it good news or what you think is good news, and that really is discipleship. So um, if you're a disciple of of, of the Republican Party, you're being discipled by them because you're moving from unbelief to belief in the new in the good news the way they present it here's the good life here's the vision of the good life here's how the world ought to be right yeah changing what you love and how you live and and if same thing if you're you know discipled by the Democratic Party so it there is this idea that they're presenting to us their good news. And we're moving from belief to unbelief in it. So one of the things I would ask you is like, if our listeners are going, well, who is discipling me? And am I being, you know, should we shut ourselves into a hole and not listen to outside voices? We yeah. know that's not the solution either. And I know that you love to hear voices that even differ from what you believe because that's helps you grow and you want to yeah. hear, right? So we can't just shut it out. right? But we also can't just let it shape our hearts without a filter. So if someone were to say to you, Jared, how do I know if this person is informing me and influencing me only, or how what are some indicators that maybe it's crossing the line and they're actually discipling me? They're shaping my heart and I'm beginning to, uh, it's shaping what I love and how I live based on what they say.
0: I think one of the best indicators your emotions were always a great indicator. So, what gets you really excited? What gets you really angry? What gets you really depressed? Right? So, um, if you're talking about people discipling you from a distance, like, um, political parties, news agencies, technology, social media, it's like
1: celebrities, celebrities, right?
0: Just measure your emotions and say, and, and ask yourself what triggered that. So if I'm like really angry or frustrated, what am i seeing hearing listening to at that moment that is causing that in my life and that will happen sometimes that's not always a bad thing but that's a good place to start to ask that question and the other thing is when when my emotions move from being uh inflamed over an issue to being inflamed over a person mm. that's a pretty good indicator that you're no longer walking in line with the gospel, but you're trusting and believing in something else. Yeah.
1: And in a similar lane, I think once you're unwilling to ask hard questions about what that individual believes, thinks and says, or to, to kind of um, piggyback on your point, somebody like say you're, you know, say you're a disciple, so to speak of uh, Joe Rogan, for example, and someone begins to question his legitimacy uh, or something he said, and you just fly off the handle. Yeah. Right? Now this is not hypothetical because it's something you do to me almost weekly right. when I question Joe Rogan. Well, but I mean
0: <laughs> I don't I don't like anybody
1: to do that. Go I ahead. know, I know. But if that if that were to happen, it's an indicator that it has too much power over your heart. Or if you um, easily dismiss opposing views without actually giving it time and consideration yeah. and um, allowing people in your life who feel differently than you. So um, if you um, you may be overly discipled by one political party if you can't have rich, meaningful friendships and conversations with somebody from the other political party, right? Oh, 100%. That would be one indicator. And so we've all been created to be formed and shaped by outside forces and, our, and what's happening inside of us. And so I think this myth is a really important Thing we need to ask ourselves, and, and if you're listening to this, one of the things you should be asking yourself is which discipling forces are influencing me most. Yeah. If I were to rank, which voices, which which organizations, uh, which ministries which individuals which viewpoints have the most influence over my life i mean first off it's it's what you it's what you always want to talk about it's what you always want to argue about in some cases but in other cases it's what you you are unwilling to talk about yeah because you don't want anyone to question what you think yeah
0: and i'll just add this thought i don't know we got to move on but you, you said something interesting like uh, your willingness to hear opposing views. One of the problems that we have to be aware of, especially when we're being discipled from a distance with technology or social media, is these, these apps are literally created to put you in an echo chamber of just listening to your own ideas. Yeah, That's what they're built for. They're, the algorithm is meant to get you to keep, keep clicking and put things in front of you that are going to keep you going down that rabbit trail. So it's not meant to in- make you the most well-informed, well-rounded person. That's not their goal. Right. So you have to be aware of that. And if you, you have to be intentional about surrounding yourself with people that disagree with you because that is the only way to become, number one, more informed about your positions. But the other thing we'll do is, and this is the necessity of in-person life-on-life discipleship, is I may feel strongly about an issue until I meet someone I love and respect that shares a different perspective. And what that does is it devilifies de- mm. the opposite perspective, which mm-hmm. that would never happen unless you have a real life person that you love and respect yeah. that shares that opinion. And then you're like, Oh, I guess it humanizes okay. it. Right. Yeah. I may not n- agree, but I can, th- this person's not evil for thinking this, right. that won't happen if it's all, if it's only on social media. And so that's and really tech. good.
1: That's a really good point. I don't remember what, I have no clue what podcast it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were talking about to, just to your point on YouTube the way that the algorithm is set up that you know the the videos that are recommended on the side when you're yeah. watching one thing that it's they changed their strategy uh, over since the beginning of YouTube to today and it was this it, at first it was like the videos recommended were very similar to the video you were watching right. And so if you were watching a video where um, a celebrity is talking about a movie, like the 10 on the side would all be related to either that celebrity or that movie. Yeah. But they've changed it to your point now where it's like there's a couple that do that, but then the, the rest of them are like it's like you take whatever that video is about and you and you you stuff it with drugs <laughs> yeah and, and 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 you make it crazier than it you know you take it from if it's on the spectrum of like just on this side of this spectrum it takes it all the, and right. it's like they learn that people will spiral down those paths yep. and start watching crazier and crazier yeah. stuff and and quite honestly, that is how we've, in some ways, it's contributed to the divisiveness of our country. Absolutely. That we're not people with two different views. We're people on two, we're groups with two different ends of the spectrum of the view. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's not our main point here, but that is all part of this conversation. All right. So that's the first myth that discipleship is a Christian thing. Really, everyone is being discipled. So the question is, what and who is discipling me? And p- if you're a parent, a great question to ask yourself is, who or what am I allowing to disciple my children? Mm-hmm. Um The second myth, and I think we'll probably just get to this one on this episode. In the next episode, we can tackle the remaining three. Um, He says myth number two, and this is the way he phrases it, and then I want to rephrase it because I think it's almost clickbait. He says it to make you read the article, but it's not—I'll just say it. He says myth number two is it's all about discipleship. But he immediately, in the writing beneath it, emphasizes that it's not all about multiplication because we talk about disciples who make disciples, multiplication and growth, and that is a Jesus model. And that's how the church has grown for thousands of years. And of course, he's not against multiplication. What he's against is this idea that we can evaluate disciples only based on their spiritual reproducti- reproductivity, mm. and that multiplication somehow has become the center of our faith, even more so than the gospel. And, you know, I just want to read something from this actual article that will help make sense of this. He says, when Jesus does use agricultural metaphors, they convey slow yet deliberate growth, not fast franchise growth. And I think that's what he's pushing up back against, this idea that the church can multiply disciples quickly, and that it's like a mass-produced factory, yeah. right? Um, he says, consider the varied growth of the good soil in the parable of the four soils. You know, there's the good soil, there's the thorn- thorny soil, there's the soil of rock, there's a the soil where the seed never gets in. Consider the mustard seed, which grows into a large burn nesting tree, but happens over a long period of time. Um, and he says, "This multiplication is not the chief value of the kingdom of God. The gospel is productivity is not the measure of maturity. Faithfulness is." So he's he's kind of walking a line here because I think that he's onto something, um, but I also think there's another side to what he's saying. So what's your kind of uh, reaction to this idea that discipleship is not all there is and there's a danger in thinking primarily through the m- metric of multiplication.
0: I think it would be better served for him to say numerical growth is not all there is. But mm-hmm. I do think discipleship is all there is in one sense. I mean, it's, you know, making a statement like that obviously is a little polarizing either way, right? Yeah. But it, it's a li- maybe a little simplistic, but I do think the mission of a Christian can be boiled down to say discipleship is all there is. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean the only, cause a lot of what he's speaking to is motive, right? What's the motive of a person. And if my only motive is I want to get as many people quote unquote saved as I can, or I, I'm, you know, and we know this, there's people running around. It's like every opportunity I get, I got to give a track or give a gospel presentation cause I may miss this chance. And I never, and usually those people tend to, Rub more people the wrong way than they actually disciple. So there can be this frenzy of multiplication, yeah. This pressure of multiplication. That, but I would say that's not actually discipleship. Right. Right. You know. So what we're talking about actual discipleship is an intentionality. It's a missiology viewpoint of your life that this is why I'm here first and foremost. And I and I do think you could say that that's that's everything. Whether it's your kids, your wife, your husband,
1: your neighbor, whatever. You know. So I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I struggled with this one, honestly. I mean, he's a discipleship guy. He's written about discipleship. No, since. he
0: doesn't know nothing.
1: No, I'm, what I'm saying is it's sort of ironic that he would call it a myth. You know, it's all about discipleship. Yeah. And I think, like, you know, it's it's just semantics. I mean, you could you could say well, it's not all about discipleship. It's all about Jesus, right? Yeah. But what's Jesus all about? <laughs> yeah. You know, the glory of the Father, which we bring glory to the father by doing what we we're created to do and what we were sent to do which is to make disciples who make disciples and and discipleship of course is an all of life thing so it's not just right. getting people into church but it's a restoration of you know not just the not just moral living but it's the restoration of mission mm. it's a restoration of a lost identity right yep. and so that's part of discipleship so when you think of discipleship in the lens of not just cranking out more human beings that can make a church work on Sunday um, and you think of discipleship more as helping people restored to the image of God that is, right. you know, that they've been created in, in the mission of God that they've been created for, then I would say to him, it is all discipleship. But what I read in this paragraph as he begins to flesh it out is that I almost—he doesn't say it this way, but I wonder if in the back of his mind he's thinking of the tendency in some churches even to confuse assimilation with discipleship. Yeah. so like there's some really wonderful tools out there that many churches use right now to get people from being sort of new to the church family to serving in the local church Um, growth track would be a really popular one and people have used all different versions of it and it's tremendously successful for what it is and for what it's trying to accomplish but to consider growth, so at the end of growth track, the idea is that the person is serving somewhere within the local church, and it's, it's richer and deeper than just that, but that is one of the primary desired outcomes. But we know that volunteerism is not the same as discipleship, yeah. or as being a disciple. There are people who will hold doors open on Sundays, and who will serve in nursery, and will play on a band, who are actually not being discipled. So I would take it in that direction when, I, when I'm reading, and I'm trying to just be... Um, charitable towards him um because i probably think if he was sitting here we wouldn't disagree with anything he actually thinks or says about this so what i would say is like what kind of um resonates with me in all of his writing is when he talks about this idea of like um um did i say did i make up that word fast oh yeah fast franchise growth yeah so i mean i think that's better said it's not about fast growth right and when you think of it in that terms, like, can you assimilate people quickly? You can. If you got a great church, if you got a great culture, and if you got a great system, and you got places for people to land, you can assimilate a new person super fast into the life stream of your church. Right? Have you discipled them? No, because discipleship is slow. Yep. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of time. Nobody gets discipled in a year. You're yeah. going to be discipled for the entirety of your life. And so I think... Um, if I'm, if he's taking it from that angle and that's kind of how I'm interpreting it, then I'm with him. I I am concerned that we think in our society, in our culture, in our world, that the best things can happen relatively quickly if we work hard enough. And I think the metaphors that Jesus consistently uses for spiritual growth is that, nah, this is slow. This is slow. Tim Keller says that the growth is invisible, but inevitable. Yeah. And I think that's a great tension.
0: I I like, um... I think it's the book, the outliers by Malcolm Malcolm Gladwell. Um, is that the book where he says he talks about the 10,000 hour principle? Yeah.
1: So to be an expert on something. Right.
0: So if you, it was like this common theme, if you've not read the book, um, these people that are outliers in their outlier, meaning like significantly successful in whatever their field is, he found this thread of like, they spent 10,000 hours doing whatever they did. And I kind of think about that when it comes to discipleship, Mm. not, not, specifically the 10,000 hours. But the idea that, um, Jesus spent three and a half years, but almost 24 seven with his disciples, right? So discipleship, if, if you were, were to have a number, the 10,000 hour number, you could do 10,000 hours 24 seven, what nobody does now. Cause we can't with our lifestyle. Right? So it takes a certain period of time for discipleship to work and that that's not even consistent with every person because every person starts in a different place and stuff is messy. But what we can know is the principle is this, it takes a long time. Mm -hmm. And so for you to think that you can just microwave somebody out, the reality is it's not going to happen. Um, so unless you're willing to let someone move into your home and live with them 24-7 and spend every waking moment with them pouring into their I've life. I've already
1: told you no multiple times. Well,
0: I mean, come on. Do you want to fast-track this or not? <laughs> so I think you can fast-track discipleship. What I'm trying to say is you could fast-track discipleship in some ways, Yeah. but practically in the life of a church and in the life of people, yeah. even if you fast-tracked it, it still took Jesus three and a half years. Come and on. I would
1: say that's intensifying it. Maybe more than speeding. You know, that's like bringing a right. level of intensity and intentionality to it that's unique. That, but like you said, Jesus, as you just started to say at the end there before I re- interrupted you, Jesus had three and a half years of intense discipleship. And yet, as we'll, many people will talk about this weekend on Good Friday services, you know, and Easter, they they had no clue what was coming next. No. I mean, he literally told them what was going to happen. The angels in Luke's account say to the woman... Jesus told, remember when you guys were hanging out in Galilee? I mean, Jesus told you exactly what was going to happen. He was going to be killed by sinful men. Right. He was going to rise from the dead on the third day, and yet here you are looking for him right. in a graveyard. Of course he's not here. He already told you, right? right.
0: And this is a dude who walked on water. Yeah, and, and they, I've the, only the things done that they saw him a do. couple of times. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> really? Well, I mean, I, I ran quickly and I, I float I sank pretty fast, but you I You mean, got a couple you ran steps.
1: through the rain to get into the building today. Is that <laughs> yeah, what you're talking about? exactly. So I think that um, yeah, I, I uh, um, not only do we want discipleship to happen fast, like not only do we want it to happen fast, but even as you were talking, I realized like I want to fix people's discipleship issues in a conversation. <laughs> That's how impatient I am. Right. Cause I don't want to commit myself to a lifetime of discipling somebody. Right. I want, you know, listen, we got 30 minutes. Let's bang it out. Like, yeah. let's fix it. And it's like, oh, that is not how people grow. And it's not how people change. And I, I think, you know, when he says the myth of it's all about discipleship. I think what he's trying to push back is on a specific understanding of discipleship, yep. which yep. is it's something that happens fast. It's transactional. Um, it's assimilation, it's getting involved, it's showing up, and all those things are useful in the discipleship journey, but that doesn't make them synonymous with discipleship. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. absolutely. All right, well there's two of our myths. I think we can yep. probably save our other three for Yeah, we're gonna the next do a little episode. part two. A little yeah. part
0: two. So before we go though, we've gotta hit a little portion we call David's Eats, where we're not only creating better leaders but also better eaters. So we did touch on this a little bit. It's Easter weekend this is a big food weekend for mm. for all of us, especially you David. Now I'm interested to hear you're a little undecided, but what is your um go to side dish? So you already laid out the main course, the meats that you're yeah. I, I know out of all those, you would probably choose lamb. But what's your yeah. go-to go-to side dish? And then I'll I'll reveal what what we're having. I
1: mean, I'm a I, I love really roasted Brussels sprouts. Oh, like little r- bacon. you know, like on the edge, yeah, a little bacon, okay, right on the edge of burnt, yeah, right, yeah. really charred, and um, so I, I I love that. Um, I also like because it's spring. I like a bright, fresh. Um, somewhat acidic salad. Oh, come on. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite salads, and maybe I've talked about it on the multiple Podcast before, is a raw fennel salad. It's like really thinly sliced mm. fennel, thinly sliced celery, olive oil, salt, pepper, and then dill and Parmesan cheese. And um, I think, actually, now that we're talking about it, I'm going to do it. I'm doing that I think Easter. You, I
0: think you just lost about half the listeners. No,
1: I mean, it doesn't sound exciting. I never would have thought it would be great. And then someone brought it to our house one night for a dinner party, and I couldn't stop making it after I tried it. Mm. it it's so great. You got to cut the fennel really thin. You need like a mandolin to slice it really thin. Yeah. But there's something about that. And you got to have. And by the way, the real key is oh, a little squeeze of lemon too. But the real key is like the olive oil you use, the extra virgin olive oil. It can't be like, you know, your local grocery store version. It's got to be great stuff. You got to go to Italy. Okay? Yeah. You got to yeah. yeah. You got to fly to Italy. Well, I'm buy, sure.
0: I'm sure my wife would love that salad. Um, now, my favorite, wh- what we're having is we started making Greek potatoes. Have you, you ever had?
1: You did tell me about this. That involves yeah. lemon, too, right? Yep.
0: Yep. They're kind of lemony and um, unbelievable. They're kind of like. Smashed? A, no. They're more cut like into wedge type okay. thing. And um, But the way that they're cooked is interesting. I don't even know the details. My wife makes them, but they're
1: what makes it greek is there cheese of feta on it is there what, no
0: it's the lemon and some of the spice and okay. then the way they cook it yeah yeah um but you, if you like we used to live in long island tons of greek restaurants they would serve them at all like all the greek restaurants and yeah they're they, it, 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 it pairs so well with lamb like there's yeah. something about it that's just perfect so yeah that's that's what i'm most excited Will about.
1: you eat your potatoes i'll eat my raw fennel. fennel and we'll see how the weight loss challenge lands well
0: all right <laughs> i mean, you're gonna win that but Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on part two next time. See you later.